This is an Anami podcast. Welcome back to the pod. This is Devin. I am your host and former guide for surviving middle school. Now I'm here as we all struggle to survive our young adulthood. <laughs> um, today I have an amazing conversation with an amazing friend of mine, Sophie Barron. She is the CEO and founder of The Conversationalist, which is this amazing Gen Z platform uh, working to break young people's echo chambers and get, uh, get people talking across different viewpoints. And she's built something amazing. I, f I first met her, she reached out for me to do a Q&A uh, for her platform, The Conversationalist. And uh, these young people just asked a ton of great questions and we had an amazing, amazing conversation and her and I have ended up friends. Um, she's recently been added to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for this year. She's really doing a lot to um, inspire Gen Z um, to be active in their point of views, but also to listen to others. And uh, we have a great conversation about that, about discussing different viewpoints, about what uh, matters to Gen Z, uh, about growing up feeling different, and um, what it means to be a good person. Um, we cover a lot of great topics, and I always love sitting down with Sophie. You can find me on her podcast as well called POVs. Um, we had a conversation a, about a year ago on there. And uh, enjoy the talk. Make sure you like, subscribe, follow. Thanks for being here. I've been living in the shadow. It stands over me on the right. Should we do a podcast? All right. You rolling? Cool. Are you ready? Devin, I don't know if I'm ready. Are you nervous? I'm so nervous. Which is so funny because we've talked before and you have you have interviewed me in the same context, but, you know, inverted. Yeah, but here's the thing. I'm the interviewer. I know. I'm comfortable when I'm asking people questions and pushing their buttons and going deep, but no one's done that in the reverse. Ah, so I'm on, I'm on the hot seat. I'm so glad to... <laughs> <laughs> have the honor of turning the table on you for no one else Devin yes I love that so last time I saw you I think was this was almost a year ago was you interviewing me for the first episode of POVs which is your talk show slash do you release that as a podcast too we do yeah podcast talk show um and you are a great interviewer let me say Thank you. That was a fantastic conversation, even though, man, a year ago, I was not in a good place. I was not well. For sure. And yeah. you, you made it easy because you had so many amazing things to talk about. But it's, it's not always easy when you're talking about really deep things that you don't typically share. And you definitely were going through it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I've grown up like in front of the camera, there's some, there's some, there's something about being in front of the camera and being in some kind of public setting that I, I weirdly feel open and free. Like there's some catharsis there of like, 
Well, let me just speak openly about my life right now. It, it, it gets me out of my head and kind of into my, um, out of my introversion and into my extroversion. Yeah. So I was definitely super open in that podcast, but you were also asking me a lot of great, like we were going to some deep places. For sure. We could, re- we could recap it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it was super interesting because I, for the most part, that's all you know, right? Like living this very public life. Yeah. And But you talked a lot about how you do save some things for yourself, which I really respect because nowadays authenticity is so manufactured. And at the end of the day, we have to have something that we come home to at the end of the day. And for the most part, that's ourselves. So grateful that you were like vulnerable about that because it made me think a lot about how I I try to put so much of myself out there, but maybe I don't even need to, you know? Mm, Yeah. Hold on. Hold on before I answer that. This yeah, we also is, don't even have to go down. I can't see down. your eyes. No, no, no. Now, now we're good. I couldn't see your eyes. They were like just over the bar. Now, now okay. we have eye we're contact. Good. We're good podcast. <laughs> um, so yes, uh, that has been a thing I've been learning. And I think all of us in this age of social media need to learn is how much of ourselves are we putting on and putting out and making public and... Uh, doing for everyone, how much of ourselves are we putting on for everyone, the masses, the total of social media? And and why? And why? And what's what's not for everyone? There has to be parts of you that aren't for everyone. For sure. Um, but how do you determine that in a day where that's our social currency? You know? I know. Like creating this visual resume of who we are in every detail so other people can consume us like content. It's very, it's bizarre. I know. It is a very tricky thing. Uh, We are in an age, a boom of consumption, of attention consumption, and people are able to create a living off of it. Like it's not insignificant. On on some level, some people can just create a little sense that they're more valuable than they thought or a little bit of validation, uh, validation. But then on the high end, like people are literally like creating a life off putting themselves out there and making themselves consume, uh, consumable. Um, and but if you're, if you're creating it for the consumption of others, how much of who we are is really who we are, mm-hmm. right? Or how much of it are we tailoring to what we think people want ourselves to be perceived as? I've been so guilty of that too, but it's this interesting cyclical thing, right? Because yes. now we're manufacturing our every move for other people to receive, but is that really ourselves? Right. Does authenticity even exist? Like these are the things that keep me up at night. You same, know? same, to be honest, like, because if you're creating, you're aware of this dynamic. So then you go, oh, well, what gets the more clicks? What gets the more views? I mean, for me, I'll say, I know for a fact, anytime I reference Ned's Declassified, whatever I put on social media, if it references it, it's going to get 10 times more traction. And so from time to time, when I want that hit of dopamine, when I want a bunch of likes and a bunch of comments, because it whatever makes my brain feel sparkly, I will do something Ned's related. But do I really want to be referencing Ned's? I don't know. I don't know, man. And that's the, that's the quintessential question. And I, a lot of the work that I do, as you know, is around initiating these really difficult conversations. And we're finding ourselves in this interesting moment where we blast out really short, 
clickbait moments on socials that push a controversial issue because as our attention span gets smaller and smaller and smaller, we know that's what will do well, right? Yep. You are to posting Ned's content as we are to like very short clickbait yep. moments. And we're realizing that, that we're doing that because that's what the algorithm wants because the more divisive content these platforms push out, the more time people spend on the app engaging and the more these platforms can deliver to their advertisers. And we're in this interesting moment where we're waking up to this issue. Like we gave in to the issue that we're trying to solve, right? We're trying to change that culture where we can actually sit down, have a conversation and not become more and more divided. But it's interesting because at the end of the day, that is what quote unquote sells. But what if we all change it, right? Mm -hmm. I think so much of us become complicit to these platforms that have a hold on our lives, but we're active consumers of that. And to what extent are we accountable to? For sure. And sometimes, I mean, I click on or stay connected to stuff that is a little more divisive and spicy because it gets me a little riled up inside and maybe I want to feel that in that moment. Like I, I get it. I'm a, I'm, I'm part of it too. Um, I really love what you do with the conversationalist though. Um, the conversationalist. I said that, right? Devin, are you okay? Did I, you forget? I, yeah. Well, yeah. I was just like, you were did on I our say that, first right? ever episode. No. And we did like the panel before. Um, it's, it's been a minute, but yes, yes the, the conversationalist, the it's a long word. I, yeah. I was like, is it a conversationist? <laughs> conversationalist. Um, I, even though you are playing that game of short form, like, uh, more clickbaity content, I, I do think you do a good job at showing what real people are thinking, letting the conversation be had on all sides of it. Uh, you definitely post some people's opinions that get me riled up, but but you also let all of it be out there and in a non, um, it, it, there's no attacking involved. Like you really are trying to bridge the gap. I know the day we did our interview um, was your first episode um, where you brought all young people together, it's all Gen Z based, all Gen Zers together um, to discuss abortion. And they were on all sides of the spectrum about it. And you kind of forced them to be in the same space together and connect as humans, as well as argue kind of their points and their issues. And I find that to be a really fascinating platform you're building and it's effective. There was nothing but like love and joy and friendship in the room when I got there, even though these people are divided on some really emotional issues. Um, so I think you're doing a good job, even though sure you're still catering to the the algorithm. Well, thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. Having you there on that day just made it so much more meaningful. So mm. I'm so grateful that you believed in this platform because though it is impactful, it's something that a lot of people disagree with, right? The, the concept of bringing people together who have differing opinions on whether abortion is a human right or not is a very controversial concept in 2022. Yeah. Like not a lot of not a lot of us even want to encounter a space where we have to entertain another side to what we believe in. And yeah. I know you said you see some things on our platform that rile you up. I hope you know you're not alone in that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really challenging moment for me at the helm of this where I'm expected to be this unbiased, impartial figure holding everyone else's viewpoint when it, it was actually pretty challenging sitting on that couch, not being able to blurt out my stance on abortion. Mm. But 
I think you point out something interesting that when you entered that studio space, all four guests were people first. And they saw each other for the college students, the young professionals that they were, they were just young people. And I think so often we lead with our identities on the political spectrum. Yeah, And while I think they're intertwined and we can't really separate the personal from the political, I think we need to find more ways to start forming relationships on a human to human level. Because you can't promise common ground. We're not all going to hold hands and smile and sing kumbaya. That's not why I started this. That's not the purpose. Yeah. But if you approach the dialogue that way with seeing someone as the human they are and understanding what crazy life experiences brought them to that moment that formed their point of view... Maybe there's something there. Maybe you'll uncover something you would have never given the chance to had you not entered into that dialogue. Yeah. And I think, man, it's hard because in some things in life, in some things in life for me personally, um, I've tried the thing where I just be open and empathetic to everyone's side and I really show up in good faith to a conversation that I have strong opinions about, but let me show up in good faith. And then I have conversations with someone who does not show the same good faith. They keep moving the goalpost of the conversation. I counter a point of theirs respectfully, and they just shift the conversation to something else. And through those conversations, especially politically, I've learned like, "Mm, maybe that's not worth my energy or my time. Like, We've all been there too, right? Like what conversation comes to mind for you where like you entered it, you were feeling optimistic, but then it went totally Uh, off course. Around the 2016 election, I got pretty uh, just active on social media about what I believed and who I believed was a true leader. And and I would talk to people who were uh, supporting the wrong guy. And I would, especially young people, and I would try and get in there and find out like why. And I'd go through long conversations with people that I'm showing up to in good faith, respectfully, and countering their points respectfully, but countering them, saying, hey, here's why this is not right. Either it's factually incorrect or it's missing some context. Let me fill that in. And it still felt like it never went anywhere. And I, I don't know where I land on it now, even though I think it's true that we do need to be seeing each other as more humans first because it's getting so divisive and we're dehumanizing the other side, whatever that is for you. And that's ultimately not the answer either. Um, But at a certain point, I do think there are times in life when you just have to be very clear on what your right and wrong is on what your good and bad is and just like stand in that. Well, what an interesting moment. Last night, Trump announced his mm-hmm. run in 2024. Yep. And I think it's going to be interesting for us to kind of chart our progress, right? Because for me, I started the conversationalist because of the 2016 election. Yes. You, that was the first thing that came to mind when you think yes. of the hard conversations you've had. What's it going to look like now when I think so many Americans are fed up with divisiveness? 87% of Americans are over polarization. We're, we're over it. Yeah. But we cater so much of our time and energy to that 13%, the yeah. people who are the loudest on yeah. either end of the extreme spectrum. But there's so much to be found when you actually cater conversations to the people who want to have them. Mm-hmm. And I think you're absolutely right. You have to determine for yourself what is and what is not worth 
talking about and everyone's line is a little bit different. Yep. And I think what's interesting about the platform I've created is we try to leave that line pretty clear, but at the same time subjective, right? If you want to bow out of a conversation, bow out. We're not trying to force feed a dialogue for you that you don't want to be having. Yeah. You have to know yourself. Yeah. And I think so much of this comes back to finding your voice because when you feel that inner confidence and you know where you stand, you know what you'll allow, what you won't, what you think is good to engage in and not, you're more, you're better equipped to actually have a conversation, not a debate or a one-sided argument. Mm. So it's going to be interesting to see what plays out now because I hope it's not a repeat of where we started. For sure. Well, no, I don't think it, it'll be some new awful and good iteration. I don't think it'll repeat. I think we'll see awful newness and hopefully some good newness as well. For sure. And I don't know if this is off base to bring up, but um, when I started this platform in 2016, I convened a dialogue on my campus. I was at Penn at the time, bringing all of the leaders of the political groups on campus together to talk about what drives them to the polls, what motivates them, what are their thoughts on the election. And that was really the first time I'd ever been in a space where people shared their viewpoints. Mm. And now, however many years later, last night, Trump announces his presidency. I sent out a text message to our entire community saying, did you see this? What are your thoughts? Where do you stand? And collected data from this generation about whether they're here for it or not when it comes to Trump running for president again. And I was really surprised to see that a majority of people who responded are not here for it. Mm. I think there are so many young people out there who are completely over this narrative of a candidate that's existing to continue to divide us. Yeah. And so if anything, I hope that's representative of where we're headed. And yeah. I think this is the time for more of us to speak up about what we actually want to see. I mean, the most recent uh, midterm election, uh, Gen Z turned out and voted overwhelmingly 27% baby. Yeah. <laughs> Second highest overwhelmingly turnout in Democrat and against, I don't know, people who don't believe in climate change and things that matter to us young people who have grown up learning these things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask you about a part of your platform that I, I just love to watch. And I just want to know your like personal experience with doing woman on the street <laughs> interviews. It's a fantastic question. I mean, it's a weird moment in time where everyone and their mom has a street show. Right. So I like to think that we started a little bit earlier than most, Right. but I don't know. It's an interesting space now because anyone can go with the microphone on the street and talk to people. Right. But for me, it's been super rewarding, right? What better way to understand Gen Z's point of view than actually getting it? Walking up to a stranger, initiating a dialogue, getting someone out of their comfort zone. It always gives me butterflies, but there's something about it that it, it, it almost gets me closer to that notion of authenticity. Yeah. It's like the closest you can get a random interaction with a stranger on the street who you've never met before that all of a sudden now is involved in this bigger thing you're creating. It brings me so much joy. I love that so much. Watching it, I kind of get that sense. I think for some people with like social anxiety, doing a man on the street or woman on the street interview uh, would maybe be their worst nightmare. For sure. Although they should probably do it because that would probably be a great way to get over social anxiety. Totally. It's like, hey. If that's what floats your boat. Yes. <laughs> or it may be the other way for yes. some people, but it gets you out of your comfort zone for sure. Yes. And you're in New York doing these most of the time, yeah? Yeah. But I try to travel around the country because as I'm sure you can guess, you tend to encounter the same perspectives sure. in the tri-state area. Sure. I'm from Kansas, so I've been able to film at you know our local college campus, and I try to go around the country. Nice. Yeah, I I think I would love to do. Maybe we'll evolve the podcast into a, a man on the street section. But I think, I, I think I would love 
to talk to random people because I think a lot of us are forming our opinions about the world and life uh, based on what we're seeing on social media. And that's a really particular medium of the human experience and human consciousness. People are anonymous or they're not, but maybe they're a little performative. Like social media is not the best way to track how you feel about humanity. It's a really, it's like one lane. Um, but woman on the street interview, I mean, you're interacting with all sorts of different people who believe all sorts of different things, but you're looking them in the eye, you're standing next to them, you're breathing the same air. It's different. Absolutely. And what better way to break your echo chamber? Yes. I, I even find, so the entire premise of why I started this is because my whole life, I felt like I was in a bubble. I grew mm. up in Wichita, Kansas, in a very homogenous, uh, conservative, um, wealthy environment. And I, I realized when I got to college and felt the opposite, I was surrounded by people of all walks of lives in a all walks of life. Is that English? Yeah. <laughs> um, finally being surrounded in a completely different echo chamber, traditionally of liberal thought. Yeah. I, for the first time, recognized that there were two very different realities out there. Mm. And not a lot of us recognize that those realities exist. Mm. And social media certainly does not help us see viewpoints outside of our own. So when, when I think about like man on the street interviews, there's nothing more gratifying than actually getting to continue to break open my own echo chamber and realizing kind of like what I brought up about that 87%. I, when I scroll every day, my two hours of TikTok a day, it's really getting toxic. Mine too. You mine only too. encounter the loudest voices yeah. in the room. But when you go out on the street, you realize that a majority of people out there want to have a civil dialogue. They want to get involved. Absolutely. Or maybe they're actually not thinking about these issues as critically as we are. Yeah. Like I've actually found that we think of this generation as like activists and change makers. And while we are, there are also so many young people that just want to be young people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's I, I support that in young people. I think there's a pressure these days to have an opinion about everything, about every issue. And to be honest, we only have so much bandwidth in our lives. And like, if you don't know a lot about an issue, you don't have to have a fucking opinion on it. You don't have to have one. You could just say, I don't know about that. Honestly, the most refreshing interviews are when I ask someone something and they say, I actually don't know, or what is that? And I get to actually have like a humble moment and help explain something or vice it. versa. I learn something. And I think so often we get caught up in our egos and we're unwilling to admit that we don't know it all yep. and that we might be wrong. Yep. So it, it may sound crunchy granola, but I always encourage people <laughs> to go into a conversation pretending like you're a scientist yeah. or pretending like you're a judge in a courtroom and you need all the info to make a decision, yeah. we don't know it all automatically. Yeah. And it's really humbling when you may just take a step back and say, hey, I actually have no clue what you're talking about, or I actually may need to do some more research. Yeah, well, and some issues are really complicated. Like most of us don't know enough on, on some of these bigger issues that all of us have an opinion on. Like stuff's complicated. Everything's interconnected and it's super complex. And Absolutely. the solutions definitely aren't, aren't as easy mm -hmm. as... Uh, Twitter would like to make us believe. Absolutely not. Um, and we just need to be more confident asking questions. Like I, I was recently talking to a, a young Gen Zer in Washington Square Park in New York, and this was right after Roe v. Wade was overturned. Yeah. Um, and I asked this person, like, do you support the overturning of Roe versus Wade? And she was there for a protest that was protesting the overturning of Roe v. Wade. She was a very pro-choice individual. Yep. But when I asked her if she supported the overturning, she said, absolutely. 
And so she didn't quite understand what was happening, what was going on in the world. <laughs> and I think that was a, a good example to like take a step back. Yeah. I paused filming yeah. and I, I had a candid conversation with her and yeah. I like helped explain what was going on. And she was so grateful that I like gave her I bet. that time of day to actually explain what was happening. Yeah. And so often we would be afraid to even interject or offer another opinion. For sure. But so much of us don't even really know what's going on in the world. For sure. Right? That's so funny. Yeah. That's so, I, I love that. For honestly, you. like, I wouldn't say that's representative of most young people. Sure. I think we're a very educated yeah, generation. Sure. But I hope that just, I don't know, would illustrate to someone to, like, be humble. Yeah. Like, say what you don't know. I say it all the time. I'll yeah. be talking to people about echo chambers and thinking they totally know what I'm talking about. And even yesterday at USC, I took a step back. I was going on a rant about echo chambers and I could tell the guy I was talking to really was like glazing over. Yeah. And I stopped. I was like, let me, let me take a beat. Do you know what an echo chamber is very candidly? And he was like, not really. And I was so grateful he was willing to be honest. Yeah. So I helped walk him through it. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, I experienced that every day in my life, I didn't know what it was. Yes. I think the more we can help each other learn and grow and never like shame someone for willful ignorance, I yeah. think is where we're going to be able to kind of bring us back. Well, I'm going to put my hope in the youth. I'm going to put my hope youth. in the youth and <laughs> myself. I, I'll count myself as like a elder youth. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I feel like you can counter these conversations all the time, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, try, I try and talk with people about everything. Um, and that's part of doing a podcast. I'm excited where I get to talk to people more and more about life. And one of the things I want to explore on this podcast is like, life's so big. Um, so to know how to survive it, I, I don't even know how I, I'm kind of out of the game of giving people direct advice and telling you like, here's what you should do. Cause all of our paths are different. What I'd rather do is explore what matters in life. Like what, where is their meaning? What matters? What should we aim for? Um, and one place I like to start, you kind of went over it a little bit, but is what is your Sophie? What is your origin story? All of us come from somewhere. Oh my gosh. Well, Devin, I'm just so grateful you started this podcast because even though you're so right, we shouldn't just give a blanket statement about how to navigate life. You help so many people with that, myself included. So thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, Ned's babies. <laughs> and <laughs> my origin story all starts in the heart of the U.S. in Wichita, Kansas. Mm. Have you been to Kansas? I have not visited the great flat state of Kansas. Hey, we may be a fly flyover state, but we got some personality. I have some friends from Kansas, but I like mountains, so I stop in Colorado. <laughs> that is fair. Um, <laughs> there's a reason why I moved out of yes. Utah, but yes. my origin story starts there. Yeah. Um, I grew up the oldest of three siblings um, in a Jewish household in Wichita, Kansas, Uh in which I learned pretty early on that I was different for most of my friends. Mm. Um, growing up, I went to a school K through 12. It was an incredible school. However, I think I learned even in like elementary school, how different I was from my friends because I was the only Jewish kid in my grade throughout all of K through 12 education. Mm. Um, and that taught me a lot of things early on about my own belief system, but I think the origin story really started with me wanting to fit in. I mm. realized in being different, that was the last thing I wanted to be. Like I tried to push it down. I wanted to be like everyone else. 
but it felt like I was wearing like a big label on my forehead that said Jew. Mm. Like everywhere I went, it was like, no matter how hard I tried to hide it, that's what I was known for. Um, and not that that's a bad thing, but at the time, like I felt like it was. It's a bad like, thing I, when you're a kid and you just want to exist right? and you're being othered. Yeah. For sure. And I don't, I, I don't say this to say that there was like blatant anti-Semitism every day of my yeah, life. Yeah. I loved my friends. I had the most supportive school, but there were so many things that I swept under the rug that I don't think I realized till later mm. in life of moments where I just either was ridiculed or belittled or um, penalized for something that I had no control over based on my religion. Mm. So, so much of my origin story led me to feel it, it may sound dramatic, but I felt voiceless for a lot of my upbringing. I wanted to be the kid that was going out for the lead in the musical every year. I ran for student body president every year growing up. Like I wanted to do the most. Like I thought I was on this earth to like make a big change. And I had very wide eyes. I was such an optimist. But every time I went out for something, I was never afforded the position, the accolade, the title. And I think because of that, I was led to feel that I didn't have a voice. I was like, okay, if I if I'm not elected to be a leader, if I'm not afforded that position, I'm not meant to be one. Hmm. And I think that led me to feel a lot of shame around my identity because a lot of it tied back to feeling like I was so different. And because of that, people you know, didn't necessarily want me to do the things I wanted to do. And whether that's true or not, it's at least was true in the eyes of my younger self. Um, I think eventually that led me to realize that I wanted to explore the world outside of the Midwest. I think feeling that shame around my identity, um, unfortunately led me to feel throughout my childhood that I needed to fit in. Like I, if I was not going to be a leader, I just wanted to conform. Like, mm -hmm. let me just be like everyone else. And I think because I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb, at least all I wanted was to be liked. We're really going deep here, Devin. I used to say to my younger self, if, I'm only going to be known as the Jewish kid. Maybe if they really like me, that won't matter. Mm. And I'll just be like every other kid. And I think because of that, I did everything that I could to be everyone's friend. I started to like shape, shape shift into this character that just wanted to change my colors and code switch every time I was around different people to be the most likable version of myself. So all of that to say, my origin story really starts in the heart of this country um, as the only Jewish kid in my school, um, growing up in a very privileged environment. I come from a very privileged background and just kind of exploring what that meant in the lens of being a Jew. How, what was the process of you finding your voice then? Because currently you have a voice, dude. You show up, I mean, you created a platform to give an entire generation a voice, but you yourself have a voice, you interview with a voice, you give interviews with a voice. Um, coming from this place that you just talked about and the place that I can relate to, even though it came from a different uh, uh, starting place, but becoming that people pleaser, becoming that if everyone likes me, then, then the world works. And so I will become whatever I need for people to like me. Like that's a really uh, painful place to live. You don't have boundaries. You can't say no. Uh, you become a, a mask of what's authentically kind about you, but you become this like mask of that. So through that process, how did you find your voice, Sophie? 
you are quite literally describing me in that. And it's so... I know it well. It's so nice of you to say that. But very honestly, I feel like I can say this to you. I still don't feel like I have one. Okay. Like, it's such a weird thing to say out loud. I'm, like, getting emotional talking about it. Mm. I I still think I'm I'm on that journey. Yeah. Um, and I'm working on it in therapy. We yes. love therapy. We love therapy. Um, <laughs> but I think so much of myself now is a mirror of that younger self. And though I've tried making my voice heard, I still don't even know what my voice is. Mm. I think I'm still sorting through the pieces of myself that I've created or altered or manufactured to be liked mm. or you know, received or consumed by others. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> I, Yo, I get it. I yeah. get it. I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm a yeah. recovering mask wearer. And I still have this, this niceness to me. And sometimes I leave a space and I go, like, was I real nice? Or was I instinctual default nice? Like, I, I still am in that conversation with myself, although I feel pretty good about my progress. Which is amazing. And I know we've talked about that. It's taken time. But yeah. And maybe that's the meaning of life, if you will. Like, maybe we aren't supposed to have it all figured out. Yes. It's a journey. It absolutely is. And you're not even 30 yet. You'll get there, and that'll hit in a whole different way that I wasn't oh prepared gosh. for. But, um, uh, but you have found some level of a voice. Sure. So was it college? Yeah, let's let's go there. Yeah. So Was it Philly? I followed <laughs> the Yellow Brick Road all to, the way. To the green emerald city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Go Eagles. Go Eagles. Go um, Birds. I will say when I got to college, I felt free, whatever that meant. Mm. I felt like I was finally bursting this bubble of the Midwest. Mm. And as soon as I got to campus, I definitely felt that people pleaser in me continuing Sure. Um, in the sense that I wanted to meet everyone and do everything and do all the things that I couldn't in high school. So I was that kid introducing myself to everyone in my classes, in line, in front of me and behind me at the dining halls. Like I just wanted to know everything and meet everyone. And I quickly found comfort in the groups that I became a part of that I felt resembled my identity. Finally being around other Jewish kids, I did mm. what anyone would, which was join every Jewish organization. Yes. Under the sun. I'm, I'm not <laughs> yes. kidding. We're talking, we're talking Jewish acapella. Yes. We're talking the Jewish sorority. Yes. I even had a Jewish boyfriend. Wow. My parents were so happy. Yes, they um, were. And I really thought that that was like the meaning of life. I was like, I found it. I'm here. I'm done with the Midwest. I belong. Yes. And one day I was walking through campus. There's this central stretch of campus called Locust Walk. Everyone's flyering for their clubs. Everyone's hanging out with their friend groups. And I realized that every person on campus that I was meeting through my classes, through the dining halls, they were doing the exact same thing as I was, but with their identity groups, mm. whether that be racial, religious, cultural, we tend to gravitate towards people who are like us. And in that moment, as I was walking through campus, I realized that I was actually completely taking for granted the Wichita experience. I realized that maybe the meaning of life isn't to just be surrounded by people who are like us, but you can actually find belonging when you surround yourself with people who are different from you. And I think I took that for granted my entire childhood. Mm. So in that moment, I realized that this whole notion of needing someone else to afford me a voice was completely false. And the only one standing in my way was me. And so in that moment, I wanted to do something 
I didn't know if this was a bigger issue. I wanted to explore it. So I decided to start a club on campus. Um, I was talking to my friend from Jewish summer camp um, who was starting up this organization at Emory called Table Talk. And the whole purpose of Table Talks, I'm sure you can guess, was to bring people together around tables. We had inflatable couches that we put all around campus. And we wanted to bring people together outside of the classroom to make new friends. That simple. Mm. No like intense dialogue yet. Like really, how can we break out of these silos, echo chambers, friend groups? Um, and through starting that, I realized that so many other people felt the same way I did. But because of how history has happened, we just tend to flock together with people who are like us. It's comfortable. We're, we're afraid to kind of break outside of that that echo chamber, if you will. But sometimes it can be as easy as making a new friend. So long story short, that's mm. kind of how I found my voice. I decided that I actually had the agency to do something about the problem I was seeing. And I just tried something. I had no idea this is what I w wanted to do long term. But that that spark of table talk was really the beginning of this whole journey. I love this. I love that even as you felt uh, kind of voiceless and um, I don't know, stuck in some ways, uh, you, it sounds like you were always kind of brave and proactive about it. Like, well, I feel this way. I'm going to leave Wichita. Like I'm going to go experience something else. And then even once you're there, you're like, I'm going to meet everyone. I'm going to talk to everyone. I'm going to get to know everybody and become everyone's friend. And even though, yeah, there's a downside to people pleasing, For like sure. you were still being brave and proactive. You weren't shutting down because of this. You were like Thanks. forcing it outward. I got the the outgoing gene for sure. I wrote my college essay about that. So you're, you're, you're spot on. <laughs> like moral of the story, like put yourself out there. Yeah. You never know. Audition for the lead in the musical, run for student body president, do it. Yeah. Because even if you don't get it, at least you put yourself out there. Yeah. And it's better than being stuck in your own mind. For sure. Yeah, For it's sure. it's nice out in the world. And sometimes it just takes a little bit of bravery to like really change, change where you're at, change what you feel about yourself, what you feel about the world. Sometimes just a little bit of bravery. Yeah. Just put yourself a little bit on that edge um, into more humanity, like interact with more humanity. And easier said than done, right? For sure. I, I think so much of our generation prioritizes instant gratification, right? Like we want to know the result. We want the receipts. Like if we're going to do something, we want to know that it was worth our time because time is so short. Or yeah. at least we're telling ourselves. Like, yeah, we feel The world way. is ending. Time is precious. And because of that, I think a lot of us are afraid to put ourselves out there. We don't know what's on the other side of that jump. We don't know what's on the other side of a hard conversation. And I, I, sometimes you got to put some faith in the process. Mm. Things may not always work out, but you never, you really never know until you at least cross that threshold. For sure. But yeah, bravery is, it's hard to come by, you know, because mm -hmm. you, you don't know what it's going to result in. And that's really hard for our three second attention span. For brains, sure. Yes. You, know? you have to jump into the unknown for sure. For sure. Um, after college, did you go right to New York? So let's, let's pick up the story at Table Talk. Okay. I, I was at Penn for four and a half years, I decided to get a master's while I was an undergrad. So I stayed an extra semester to finish that degree, cool. which gave me another semester to explore table talk. So I started table talk my sophomore year. And by the time I finished that master's program, I had turned it into a 501c3. I spread table talk to 80 college and high school campuses and made it this movement of young people that wanted to break outside of these bubbles. And that was really phase one. Mm. But as we were talking about before, the 
2016 election was really the next puzzle piece here. Mm -hmm. um, so in the midst of understanding this issue of us not wanting to be friends with people outside of our groups, I for the first time realized during the 2016 election, the issue of the ideological echo chamber. Not only do we not hang out with people who are unlike us, we don't even want to talk to people who have different views. Yeah. And that was really the first time I realized that particular issue. Mm. Um, I don't need to go into the full story, but long story short, I was sitting in a classroom the night before the election, and one of my professors was telling our entire class that we would be doing a disservice to our country if we didn't vote for one particular candidate. Whoa. And in that moment, I don't know what it was, but something inside of me just made me stand up out of my chair and leave the class. I think it had been building, you know, campus was very tense. This was the era of people posting Facebook statuses saying, you know, if you even come near X candidate, unfriend me. Yep. If you have X view, I don't want to talk to you ever again. Yep. That was really when these like seeds of divide started sowing. For sure. Um, and in that moment, leaving the classroom, I decided to finally use my voice. I felt like, yes, I had kind of found it through the table talk journey, but I don't think I really discovered it until this moment where I put pen to paper and I started writing this manifesto of sorts about why we've got to acknowledge the echo chamber and open it. We don't have to fully shatter it. We may not be ready for that yet, but there are so many different realities that are existing in our country and we don't even want to acknowledge that they are real. Yeah. So what is the meaning of life if we're not even gonna yeah. acknowledge half of the country yeah, that voted a certain way? How do you solve anything way? or bridge anything if you're not even acknowledging where they're coming from? Exactly. And this this manifesto, this article ended up being published in the Huffington Post. Oh, wow. And that was the spark behind the conversationalist. I was yeah. like, okay, this is the next iteration. Let me figure out how we can actually bring people together to not just become friends with people who are different, because maybe that's not always realistic, yeah. but how can we talk or listen or understand or something that allows us to acknowledge the different experiences and points of view that made us who we are mm. today? So I started doing some research, figuring out what young people wanted and needed and how we could start to bring people at least back to the same table. Because yeah. even right now, I'm feeling it in 2022, I still feel like we're on different islands from each other. And we've got to find a way to coexist in some way. If that's realistic, I'm an optimist. I like to think it is. But yeah, um, that was really what started this whole journey before moving to New York. Yeah. And now you're in New York. I am. I'm kind of jealous. I mean, I love LA, but I would like to spend more time in New York. You absolutely should. We're going to see some Broadway shows together. Let's go. It really is like fulfilling my childhood dream. Yeah. Then. There's there's dreams about just New York. And oh does it gosh. live does it live up to them? So here's the thing. I think it absolutely does. My childhood self feels so fulfilled by walking down the streets of New York and feeling like Carrie Bradshaw and sure. romanticizing the city, but it's, it's not necessarily the greatest place in the world. <laughs> um, I don't think I'll be there forever, Sure, sure, but sure. I think it's, it's the complete opposite of where I grew up. Yes. And there's something Wichita and New York city. Very different. It's very, it, it's very fulfilling to feel like I'm fully accomplishing I don't know, the ability to be a part of something much bigger than I think I felt in the Midwest. Yeah. So I think in New York, even though there's this anonymity 
that I love where I could walk for miles and not know anyone. Yeah. But at the same time, there's something so beautiful about knowing you're surrounded by people from all over the world. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the last times I was in New York was uh, 2019. I was there for like three days for a movie premiere and I hadn't been there in a long time, I think since like Nickelodeon days or something. Um, and w it was really needed and like healing for me at the time because Mentally, I wasn't doing great. Mm -hmm. And the thing with LA is I'm spending so much time either in my own four walls or my car. So there's just so much time to just spin in my own head. And what I love about New York is as soon as you're out the fucking door, you are with the entire city. And there's something so immediate and present. And I get like kind of a, uh, bold about it there's something tough about it but in a in a real way in an authentic way like I just felt so present being in New York and granted it was a novelty coming from LA so I don't know maybe people get tired of that feeling maybe you feel a little enclosed in sometimes that you're surrounded by an entire city and sharing space but I really I felt more connected to my own humanity in New York because you're just in it with everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. You feel like you're a part of something bigger. Yes. It's the best feeling. Yes. And I don't know if everyone sees it the way that we do. Yeah. But it's pretty idea. Like, I feel like idealistic. If, it's if you agree with this, I feel like you and I are people that feel like we have to be on all the time. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. You may have to enter into a conversation with someone that was unexpected. Like people may be looking like I always am worried about what everyone else is doing around me. It goes back to like the people pleaser yes. in me. Um, like I would be afraid to go to the gym in college because I'd be afraid I'd have to talk to so many people and I wouldn't actually get, get that time. Yeah. Um, and there's something so freeing about being in New York and not having to be on. I could walk for miles and be surrounded by people and be a part of it, but I don't have to be anything other than myself. And that's kind of helped me figure out who I am a little bit, almost like exploring I love who I am this. through the lens of being around seas of other people. I love this. Um, and knowing that they kind of don't give a shit about you, right? <laughs> but like in a freeing it way. It humbles you too, yeah. right? Like yes. you, you are truly just a speck of dust on a floating rock and i think <laughs> yes. honestly that like humbling experience is something that i hope everyone can become subjected to definitely i think we need that especially with all of us like blasting our own egos and consciousness and avatars onto social media like trying to make ourselves important so that we can get the numbers so that we can either get the money or the validation or For whatever sure. the game is we're playing yeah uh yeah sometimes we just need to be reminded and that's what i felt in new york that like Oh, I'm a part of a big humanity, but also I'm like an anonymous little fish and I can just like breathe. Totally. I can just do whatever the hell I want. Totally. Um, I think it makes you feel like, I don't know, maybe there is some meaning behind all of this. And I think so much of our culture has shifted to individualism. And there's something about being in New York with so many, I don't know, so many people of all walks of life, all different backgrounds that makes you realize that maybe we're all part of something together, yeah. not just on our own. And if you succeed, I succeed. And like, even, I don't know, like I've even found it like fascinating interacting with homeless people in New York. For sure. Like it's, you're, you're a part of this larger experiment. For sure. And it's super humbling. Yeah. I mean, the big city, exp I mean, it's one of the most, I love going into natural spaces for sure. But man, when you're in one of these big, great cities in the world, anywhere, you're getting a nice taste of humanity and life for and sure. culture. And uh, it's good for us to see these places. But you're also reminded that it's not representative 
of the world. Sure. Right? Like you have the melting pot, but it's completely unaffordable, inaccessible, <laughs> and not yes. representative of the entire world. So again, I know I keep bringing it back to the echo chamber, but like mm. it's also reminded me of the bubble that is New York and how mm. lucky I feel and privileged I am to be able to live there while also acknowledging that my friends who are still in Wichita have maybe a completely different experience or college friends who are now around the country are all seeing the world in a bit of a different lens. So Yes, like I, we can be talking about how wonderful New York is, and it is, but it's also a nice reminder that that isn't, it's not something that everyone can experience, and that's something important to talk about. Sure. Another thing that not everyone can experience, but I had a, a similar kind of uh, coming into myself uh, is at um, Burning Man. I, I went oh. to Burning Man many times. It's been a while since I've been, but I went um, the first time in 2011. I was 20 years old. Do you go every year? I went six years in a row, and then I haven't been for six years. So wow, uh, it changed my life. I absolutely love it. It's like one of the most fun, not just fun, most like deep, freeing, liberating, beautiful, uh, crazy experiences. I'm sure. Every single year I went, like it was incredible. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. At Burning Man, yes, it just seems like a completely different. Yes, universe. and you you could be you you. It's that thing you talked about in New York, where like you can walk around there and just feel free. In that you can be and do whatever you want. You can interact with people if you want, or you can just walk and see the incredible landscape and art and expression, and just like check in with yourself. That's that's what I found when I went. Was like it was some kind of coming into myself, some kind of rite of passage of like, I'd spent my whole life being an actor and constantly aware of what people think of me and becoming this people pleaser. Oh, please, please just like me or please just feel comfortable or whatever that was. And so aware with auditions, putting myself out there to be judged and putting myself out there as an actor to be judged. And then to be at Burning Man where everyone's just like covered in dust and like wearing like uh, tutus and like body paint and just realizing like, Wow, I am so much more than what I'm making myself to be for others. Mm. I am I am more expansive than this. I am more free than this. Um I'm more ugly than this. I like all the things. I got to like walk in that and um wow. I don't know. That's that came to mind when you were talking about like walking around New York. It's like I had a similar coming to, but that's at so Man. interesting. Do you think everyone should have to experience Burning Man in their lives? I don't think everyone can experience Burning Man in their life. And also I don't know what it I haven't been in six years. I'm sure it's still an incredible place, but it has tipped beyond uh counterculture. Now it's like culture culture. Now it's mainstream. Interesting. Um and you know, there's cell phones and social media out there. I I don't know. But I think anyone who does feel called to go should go still and just go have the fucking best time. I mean, Valid. it is so good to have experiences like this. I mean, it's eight days in the desert living a counter society. It's not the same society. You're not spending money once you're there. You have to spend money to get there. But once you're there, no money exchanges. So every bar you go to, you're just getting your cup filled up. Experiencing that for a week, not engaging in money, that alone is liberating on the human soul. Like wow. not having to constantly be counting your shekels, like not like, oh, I'm I'm losing money here, or oh, or it's an exchange of value all the time. Let me exchange my value. Just like being there and being given 
life and giving life back, I think people who feel called to it should go. But you can get that at a music festival. Some people find that in religion. You could just go take some psychedelics in the woods, maybe. Um, (laughs) It's interesting to bring up religion because I was going to talk about that, but it's like a whole other tangent. Like, go for it. I don't know. I feel like (laughs) I feel like nowadays we're like turning away from traditional institutions our like generation religion, is. and maybe you find that in cities that you're living in or experiences like burning man and i, just, I don't know it's just interesting yeah i think our a lot of us younger people are turning away from uh institutions for stuff like that and and we want to but but we're look we're kind of looking for the same thing some of the time we're looking for some deeper meaning to life right um but you can also get it just from traveling just travel to oh, another sure. country and just be in a situation that is unfamiliar to you and interacting with new people and a new culture entirely and maybe a new language. Like I traveled through Europe this summer and like that did what Burning Man does, even though Burning Man should be experienced. But just going and traveling for a couple of weeks somewhere where you've never been is going to do the same thing for your your spirit. And I lived vicariously through that trip. So <laughs> I'm so happy you got to do that. It just it brings up the same questions we've been talking about this entire episode, right? Like mm-hmm. how can we seek experiences and moments and experiences in our life that allow us to see outside of our own bubble or our own way of thinking or our own comfort zone? And it's just interesting to talk about because so much of us just continue on the same path we do what we're comfortable with but what's the point of being in this great social experiment of the world if we're not actually an active participant in it you know yeah this um this makes me want to ask you we're kind of we're kind of dancing around it but is is what what does being a successful person mean to you and what does being a good person mean to you like how do you aim at these things? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Great. I, Perfect. That's the end of the episode. Bye. I don't even know if I even think about success. Is that weird? Like no. I've, I find that word to be so subjective as are that, most things. That's why I ask it because but, it's very subjective. I don't know. For me, when I, I think I immediately jump to business because I'm, toxically inextricably linked with the work that I do, which Mm -hmm. I'm trying to separate. But I don't know, to me, success is helping someone understand that there's a world outside of their own. Mm. It's as simple as that. Like I find so much fulfillment and satisfaction when I can help someone conceive of another person's point of view Mm. or even just acknowledge it exists. Like I feel like I was put on this earth to help people feel heard and seen. And in that, hopefully they give it to someone else. So I, I don't know if that sounds, I love it. I, that's, that that's doesn't what sound any type of way. means to me. And that's what I want. Yeah. That's what I want to hear. Cause everyone answers this differently. Yeah. And I think being a good person in my definition of good mm-hmm. is doing something in your life that helps the lives of others. Mm. It's as simple as that. Like mm, I service. Yeah. And I think that's ingrained in so many of us, but especially for me growing up Jewish, like that was such a big part of my upbringing. Like we are taught. I remember every single Friday when my family would have Shabbat dinner, when I was wishing I was at the football game every Friday, we would have to put change into this thing called a tzedakah box where we would collect change and then we'd have to donate it somewhere. Like literally when I was in kindergarten, I was doing this Mm. and it was just infused into my way of life that you're supposed to exist to help the world. Mm. And there's 
I, there's just so much of me that feels like the meaning of life is doing what you can in whatever circumstance you're in to help someone else. Um, and there's this, there's this really interesting philosophy that we don't really have to get into, but it's called the riddle of inequality. We learned about it in high school and it kind of talks about how each of us were born into a certain circumstance at a certain moment in time for a reason. And it makes you question like, how was I afforded this opportunity to be born into this lifestyle? Why am I experiencing these things? And what am I using that for? Mm. And I really think the meaning of life is understanding why you were put into the place you were in, why you were born into that circumstance, and how can you utilize that to help someone else who isn't in the same or as good of a circumstance. So I think being a good person is doing anything you can to help someone else. I love that. Thank you for coming to my TED talk, yeah, Devin. I love that. Has someone asked you that yet? No. Can I ask you? Sure. What What does being a successful person mean to you? Mm, successful. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's like that word alone, like, definitely gets tied into whatever business you're pursuing or I'm pursuing. Like it, it's some success is, is, is in that. But for me, I'm an artist. Like that's my business is my creativity and just this, this calling on my heart to express or create or uh, bridge something or alchemize something or yeah. just like some weird vision I have in me to make a funny joke like it, it's just loud in me is just this artistic spirit so success success what does being successful look like to me um success for me means being I, man honestly it's close to what uh what Daniel Curtis Lee answered which was <laughs> he said something along these lines and I kind of agree which is like being fulfilled um being fulfilled in in what's on my heart and expressing my creativity uh, and gaining resources for that. Um, and part of my creativity is inspiring others, is helping others or or giving people a space to feel more deeply or talk more deeply. Like that's part of my art, but success is tied into resources for me as well. It's like, there's a certain amount of money I need to live the type of life that I want to live. There is for a sure. lifestyle that I want and need. And if my art isn't generating that, I don't feel successful. Mm. Um, and especially within the acting industry, like I haven't done a fraction of what I feel I'm capable of and that I want to do in the entertainment industry. I, I haven't even come close to what I feel um, my potential is as an actor, as a creator, as a storyteller. Um, I, I just feel like I haven't gotten in there yet. So I, while I feel successful in some ways, um, I don't feel I'm at my like successful point I feel like I was <laughs> when I was working all the time, but it's been some time since then. So I feel like I'm still working back to a successful version of myself and I'm getting, I'm getting closer. And it, it is part of like, part of that is mental health and like being okay on the journey. For sure. Um, and that's like 
an ever-changing thing. And, and it then, can evolve, right? Like your definition of success has probably evolved so much it, from when you were younger. It's constant. Yes. Completely. It's constantly evolving. And it, maybe that's what path we're on is like figuring out at different stages of our lives, what it means to be good, what it means to be happy, what it means to be successful. That's also part of being creative or being an artist. And I happen to believe everyone has some capacity for creativity. It's, it's part of our human nature. It's one of our, our birthrights is creativity. And I think everyone has the capacity for it. And that's a part of being a creative is, is defining things now is letting things progress and change and going through messy periods and kind of finding your way through it and then finding new direction and purpose within it. Um, and I've definitely been going through transitions through my late twenties and into my thirties now. And like, um, so yeah, my, my definitions are, are changing, I guess. Can I also ask you about the good? Yes. Go on. Interview me, Sophie. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. That's I, why I brought you in here to interview it's me. It's just it's in my nature. <laughs> no, I know it is. I knew it would be. Well, I, I'm so glad you talked about whether you feel like you are successful. Yeah. So I don't know if this is controversial to ask, but do you feel that you are good? Uh, yeah. I feel like I'm living good to me is about living with, um, living in my values of my values in my virtues of my virtues like and i i do feel actually through some of the harder uh times of my life the last few years i've really learned how to not betray myself not sabotage myself uh live in integrity with my word that's a really that's a journey for all of us to go on is like am i speaking truth am i does my word mean something when i say something to someone do i mean it and of course there, there's more to go but i do feel i'm living within a good version of myself and how i define being a good man it's it's, it's also because it's important to me i choose it i do aim at being a good man it's not um it's not vague to me. It's not something I don't think about. It is something I choose. I try and live my values. I try and live my word. I try and look at when my life isn't working, what's in my control and what's feedback for me? How am I showing up that this is what's being created in my life? Like I try and take responsibility for what's not working in my life and be aligned to what I say I'm aligned to. I mean, and this is a life long process for all of us. And it's a choice. You have to fucking choose it. <laughs> um, and yes, I feel like I, I do that. Um, I feel like I've stopped people pleasing. I, I learned how to not be a fucking nice guy to everybody. And man, it feels good. It feels good to sometimes just be a dick to someone. And that still has me feel like I'm a good person. <laughs> Even when I'm a dick sometimes, because I go, this is correct. This situation calls for me to be a little more aggressive than my childhood self would believe. Like some things in life require different aspects of yourself and love doesn't only look nice. Love isn't just nice. Love is sometimes really strong and really bold and love draws boundaries. And um, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I feel good within who I am as a man and who I continue to aim to be as a man. And uh, a lot of that comes down to being honest and be, uh, being true to what's in my heart and trying to like live of that. And I one think I'm my, doing it. One of my favorite quotes is from Stephen Sondheim. Love him. From Into the Woods. Go on. Where he writes, nice is different than good. 
Absolutely. And I think about that a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, because you can be nice. Let's say someone is uh, in public saying some racist shit to someone or anti-Semitic shit to someone. Nice and good are two different things in this situation. For sure. You could be nice to the situation. For sure. You could be nice to someone who's clearly like wrong and making life shittier for someone else, or you could be good. Absolutely. Those are two different things. Yeah. It's an interesting tango, but it's awesome hearing how you, how you see the world. Yeah. I'm figuring it out. And that's part of this, this, this whole experiment with this podcast is getting to talk to other people about it and kind of open up some of these issues so that I can see the world, uh, learn more. Yeah. I think that's why we're friends. I think so too. <laughs> Cause every conversation we've had has been like this. I know a very long, intense, I know. I know. philosophical debate <laughs> I about know. life, but honestly, I I'm so here for it. Yeah. Me so too. Often the conversations I find myself in are so surfacey. Yeah. And I think we're all craving that. It makes us feel like we have two feet on the ground. Like yeah. there's gotta be something more to this. Yes. And, there's something really, really gratifying about it. Yeah. Even though as an entertainer and as an actor, I comedy, I, I can just fuck around with people for about like three hours. Like I can just keep it surface for as sure. long as we're doing bits. Sure. As no, long no, as it's bit based. Know your audience. Know yeah. Your yeah. Audience. We're good. We're good. I'm not funny. So I'm glad <laughs> we didn't have I, that type of conversation. I would argue that, but I know what you're saying. You're not, you don't identify as a comedian. For sure. <laughs> I, as much as I would love to be. Yes. That would terrify me. Yes. Truly. Yeah. No, even me, I think stand-up would terrify me. Stand-up in particular is an art form that terrifies For me. For sure. I can go on stage and play music in front of people, all good. Which I can go act in front of people, all good. I could go speak in front of people, all good. But go up there and say, I'm going to be funny, and the whole room is on me. Ooh, gives me butterflies, makes me feel weird. It's a whole other world. I mean, all the things you just named that you're fine with, like that terrifies me. I love music. I love to sing, but the thought of doing it in front of other people terrifies me. Yeah. That's why I stopped after college, did the acapella thing. I loved it. Jewish acapella group. Hey, what were, what was we were your, pretty what, iconic. What was the name? You ready for this? I'm so ready. The Shabbatones. Oh my God, it's so good. We were Penn's premier Jewish acapella group. <laughs> As if there were like multiple. If, yeah. Um, but we did. We Among got to, many. We got to sing at the White House. We gave a private performance to Barack and Michelle. Wow. At the White House Hanukkah party. This is amazing. So we I were, didn't know. We were a pretty big deal. I didn't know Barack and uh, Michelle were uh, celebrating Hanukkah. I'm sorry. They're our biggest fans. I, I was not aware of the Shabbatones. So. Oh, well, now you do. <laughs> Find us on Spotify. <laughs> Um, no, but like my music is out there. Like I have some, I have some tracks. The Shabbatones are, the Shabbatones are out there and live. Yeah, absolutely. Spotify. Absolutely. Oh my God. Good Sophie. luck finding my, my solos. But wow. um, I, but the thought of doing that now is so scary. <laughs> That's why I like admiring it from afar. Like nothing brings me more joy than like watching a video of you singing on Instagram or going to a Broadway show. Like I love it. Yes. But I think it's because I feel like I could never do it myself. <sighs> Even though you did it. You did it at a high level. You did hey, it I at mean, a if, White House. If you want to sing a duet right now, I'm, I'm game. I, uh, I mean, I'm totally go. kidding. No. But <laughs> no. <laughs> absolutely not. I'm not ready. Don't put me on the spot. <laughs> Chill out. 
See, it made you nervous. <laughs> it did. So it did. are you really prepared to sing publicly in front of people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I need like a second, you know? I need okay. a second to like uh, okay. get into my zone, you know? Well, walk the walk, Devin. Yeah, shit. Shit. <laughs> la, 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 la. I got to do warm-ups, man. No, I'm singing later, actually. It's going to be fine. Okay, I can't wait to I'm hear. singing with a choir later. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to watch. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. Okay. I'll, I'll film it. Please. I'll, I'll put some of it wow, out there. Wow, sorry I took us on a full other tangent. No, I, I love it. I love all of it. There's no wrong places we can go on this podcast. <laughs> um, it's almost like it mirrors life. That's it. That's it. We're just trying to be authentic to life here, man. <laughs> We're trying to flow and feel it out. But honestly, I, I don't want anyone to come on this and be like, oh, I said the wrong. It's like, what? There's nothing wrong to say. Well, thank Even, you for saying that because I am still sitting here feeling so nervous because i'm so used to being in the driver's seat yeah i and being How does in control it feel? i don't know i'm like i don't know where we're going next I, like isn't it scary did i say the right things did i i could take us anywhere was I too honest was i did i speak in terms that people would understand i have no idea you've you've done great like, you speak you have a voice and you speak eloquently and i'm i'm grateful for you being here sophie thanks friend um let's wrap up with some essentials okay essentials this is just quick just what comes to mind the idea is you know what do you take with you in your life and we're all consumers of media like we talked about so uh let's start with media uh three essential tv shows this is a lot of pressure um don't be scared okay three essential tv shows survivor yo which I think is fitting for this show. Are you kidding me? Nothing will teach you how to grapple with life than that show Are and you make you realize you could survive on nothing. I absolutely am obsessed with Survivor. I'm a few episodes behind though, so do not I won't spoil. say anything, but it brings me more joy than most things. And so fun fact, I'm with you. Jeff Probst went to my dad's high school. Stop He's it. from Wichita, Kansas, Stop baby. It. Yeah, well, now he lives in Fiji on a mountain of gold. Is he ever in the U.S.? He was I on SNL so much. recently, and I was like, wow, he exists outside of, like, the Fiji Islands? I'm such a fan of him. He's, Me like, too. the greatest host on television. Truly. Okay, Survivor. Okay. Survivor? Oh, I could talk Absolutely. about art. We're going to have a whole extra hour on Survivor. You Absolutely. can find it on the Patreon. Just kidding. We don't have one. Okay. Okay, second show. Yes. The Office. Go for it. I love it. I've never... I've never been a fan, but through COVID, I gave it a, I gave it oh, a fair a new shake. Fan. And I've rewatched it like six times already. You I'm have, fully in the culture. You have caught up. Oh, absolutely. Because the way to enjoy The Office is to watch it about 6,000 times. So absolutely. you're on your way. Absolutely. I love that. Whew. Okay. And then I love the third essential show. Honestly, I don't know what to say. I, I think right now at this phase of my life, I've interestingly loved Sex in the City. Incredible show. I've never seen it. I think it's a little tone deaf to like, 2022 but it's made me romanticize my life like i'm always living in fear of the future and there's something about that show that made me like realize the present like running on the streets of new york yelling taxi like i feel like i'm like in my life now and yeah that show kind of helped me get out of yeah, my especially being a young woman in new york absolutely i don't think i relate to any of the characters in particular sure. but i don't know it helped me kind of grapple with life you know I love that. I'm a Samantha, um, but no. Um, who, who do you but, think I am? Uh, you're kind of a Carrie. Really? I mean, in terms of like, yeah, you're like wow. personality and you're like after it, creating business and going and getting it. Yeah. No and looking fresh in a corduroy suit. No one's ever told me I'm a Carrie. Dang. Well, oh they don't know you. Um, okay. Wow. But I, I, I gotta be honest. I love that answer. I didn't know. I only knew of Sex in the City until like some years ago. A girlfriend actually like showed me it. 
It's an incredible show. The writing's amazing. It's pretty great. How, what it's saying about I mean, it explores incredible themes about love and humanity and identity, and uh, I think it's fantastic. You're totally a Samantha. You know it. Oh, my <laughs> You know it, girl. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, uh, do you watch movies? Three essential movies. It's Favorite movies. It's so embarrassing because I went on a full rant on your podcast about how our attention span is so low, but I feel it. I can't watch movies. I'm on my phone the entire time. I start watching TikTok while I'm watching. Movies. I know. I'm I'm with you these days, but there have to it's be bad. some movies that have stood the test of time for oh, you. Absolutely. What's what's in there for you? Oh, it's been it's been a minute, but I love Legally Blonde. Fantastic. I um oh my gosh. What's the Oh, I can't remember the name. What's the Christmas movie where it takes place in so many vignettes of people's lives? There's love this, Actually. Love Actually. Incredible. Why why didn't I remember the name? Incredible film. Such a good movie. Yeah. Um, I think you can tell my genre. I'm like a light chick flick kind of gal. Yeah. Um, and maybe How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Wow. Yeah. You are you are on theme there. But I don't know if that's profound. Doesn't I have to be I think nowadays I watch and consume media to take me out. I, I know. Of and like the intense conversations yes. I'm having every day. So The Office, the Liggly Blonde, like I just need. That's fully okay. That is what this, like not all of our media has to be so freaking deep like yeah it can for just sure. be entertainment for sure so maybe um, maybe that's my three i love that i love that I love I'm gonna, actually i'm gonna go fantastic. home and like question those answers richard but... curtis is that director he he did a movie called about time have you seen it so beautiful good. Film. beautiful so good. film absolutely a little depressing gorgeous. but great deep deep though really talking about life they like is that rachel mcadams yeah they like made that trailer making it look like it's like your average rom-com and man it is not that's yep. a deep movie oh, um man. do you read books it's okay. It's okay to not. I have. I have. <laughs> I hope you've read three books. essential books that I've read, but I don't actively read. Okay, but you have three essential. I would books. like to, but I'm gonna throw out three essential books. Give me. Okay, our Lord and Savior Brene Brown. Okay, wrote I a book called Braving you were going the somewhere Wilderness. Different. <laughs> I was like, hold on, Jewish. Bra Braving the. You about to say the Bible? Is okay, Braving the Wilderness, Brene book, Brown. Number one. She is our Lord and Savior. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Okay. And this little cute tiny book called Heart Talk mm. by Cleo Wade. It actually caters well to my attention span because every page is just like a short little poem or quote or something that makes you like really think in a, in a way I've never thought before. So And bite-sized for your attention span. I love highly, this. Highly recommend. I love this. Um, do you listen to podcasts? I cherry pick podcast episodes. Okay. So we're not going to do essential hey, podcasts. My favorite podcast is obviously yours. <laughs> That's so. what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> the only essential podcast. <laughs> Tune in, subscribe, smash that like button. Okay. Um, uh, three essential teachers slash heroes in your life. Ooh, okay. Um, number one, Rich Keller. Who is that? Rich Keller is my lifelong friend tour, if you will. I love this. He's my mentor. He's like a second father to me. Mm. Um, his whole philosophy is that what we do is not who we are and who we are should drive what we do. And he's the whole reason mm. why I started The Conversationalist. He completely helped me understand that I am a unifier and the unique thing that I bring to this world is my ability to bring people together and... He spends his entire life helping other people. He's a two-time cancer survivor. He has been through it. And all he wants to do is give. He just gives his time away, his expertise away, because he just wants to help other people. And he really helps me channel that in my own life. So I love Keller, that so much. That little philosophy thing, I mean, it just feels like it, it 
perfectly stated kind of what I was talking about in my definition of success is that I am not what I do, but what I do has to come through me in an effective way. And that's success to me is that like, I'm doing what I am and being paid handsomely for it. (laughs) You've got to meet Rich. I'll connect you. He's brilliant. Cool. Um, Number two, Olivia Juliana. Do you know her? I don't. She is a Gen Z icon, hero. Go on. um, And is someone who is my living, breathing example of what it looks like to use your voice. Mm. She is someone who unapologetically is herself. I'm sure you saw her all over the news. She rose to internet fame, if you will, when Congressman Matt Gates body shamed her. And instead of cowering or doing what I think my younger self would have done, which was be silent and feel small, she used that momentum of being body shamed as a teenager by a congressman to raise in literally a sick amount of time, like 48 hours, she raised $2 million for abortion funds. Wow. And it it was incredible. It made headlines everywhere saying, you know, look what you did, Matt Gates, who's fervently pro-life. Right. Um, I'm going to use this incident to actually, your words actually raised yeah. 2 million for abortion funds and wow. not to make this political, but like she just quite literally is the most incredible example of what it means to use your voice mm. and be unapologetically yourself. And I think is an example that every young person should look to. Amazing. So Olivia Juliana, number two. Um, and for this category, do they need to be in my life nope. per se? Nope. Um, okay. Teacher I've got hero. teachers outside of... I've got heroes outside of my real life, like outside of who I know, and I have heroes within my life. Okay, so I'm going to say number three is a tie between two of my favorite humans from Penn, where I went to school, Mm -hmm. Adam Grant and Angela Duckworth. I think the two of them are brilliant. Have you heard of either of Mm -mm. them? So they're both scholars. They're both experts in their fields, and they both have completely different schools of thought, but they're very similar. Adam Grant really is the expert on human behavior and essentially how we can better understand one another. And he has, I'm not going to go into it, but if you don't know Adam Grant, look him up. Cool. He's a genius. Um, and he's really helped me understand why I'm doing the work I do. And he, he I'm just his biggest fan. Amazing. And Angela Duckworth wrote this whole school of thought on grit mm. and how I'm sure you've seen I'm, the book. I think She's I've come very across. famous. Yep. I love her dearly. Um, and she just kind of helps us realize that really the most important trait that can get you through life grit. is grit. Um, digging big, big into fan. the discomfort. So yep. if you haven't Moving read fear. Yep. either of their books, highly, highly recommend. Amazing. See, I've, I that's have read what I'm them. I'm looking for in the essentials. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Um, great. Uh, no more essentials. Ooh. No more, no more time, Sophie. I think we've nailed it. I think we've, yeah, we've nailed it. We've done it. Wow. Uh, thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, Devin. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you as always. Um, Sophie runs The Conversationalist. Check out all of their uh, socials and their website. And especially if you're in Gen Z, get involved in their conversations. It's a great platform uh, that you get to be a part of. Thank you. And I know you didn't ask me, but the only other essential I would throw out there for navigating life. Yes, please. Is finding people like you and friends like you who will have these conversations So Mm. thank you for having me. Thank you for being the amazing human you are, Devin. I just feel so grateful to have you in my life. Likewise. Likewise, Sophie. Thanks, guys.
Thanks for listening to that Onami podcast. Onami is a creator-led educational platform that teaches you the things you wished you learned in school so you can thrive in adulthood. Onami lessons are completely free and they're taught by some of your favorite creators from around the internet. Head to onami.co to start learning about things like budgeting, investing, taxes, how to thrive in your relationships, how to find your dream job, and so much more. That's onami.co, O-N-O-M-Y.co. See you there.